Okay, the recording is in progress, and we're gonna we're gonna be picking it up again in James chapter four. And uh, <coughs> as we ended the chapter three, we, we found that even though this is a uh, what's being ta taught to us in the word here is for everyone, that is specifically seems to be related to uh, to leaders in the church that uh, they they need to be peacemakers instead of uh, creating uh, war and dissension. And, and so in chapter four, um, we won't get all the way through verse 10, but we're going to at least uh, take a stab at it today. We got all the way through all last week, all the way, way through verse one. So uh, we'll try to do better than that today. So let's pick it up. We're going to read uh, chapter four, James, chapter four, verses one through 10. So in this passage, it says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot uh, have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do, do not ask God. And when you do ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think that scripture says without reason that the spirit he causes caused to live in us envies intensely? But he gives us more grace. That is why the scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. All right. So we talked about uh, in chapter uh, 4, verse 1, we talked about the fact that uh, there is a war going on, a conflict, if you will. And we talked about how the fact this conflict especially is, um, is an issue that we struggle with. Um, and we talked about that James specifically mentions several different areas of, of wars that happen in our, in our midst. Uh, James 2 talks about class warfare, where the difference between rich and poor and how we tend to be with, uh, treat them differently. We talk, we're going to get to, in chapter 5, we're going to get to employment wars, uh, talking about those that are in employers and employees. Uh, in that time frame, we were talking about uh, owners and slaves. And uh, so we'll, we'll deal with that in a, in a couple of weeks. We talk about church fighting. We've talked about that in, uh, in chapter 1 and also chapter 3. And, and as we get a little further into chapter 4, we're also going to be talking about personal warfare that happens. Uh, we we, we tend, to, tend to fight among ourselves because of a rivalry and criticism. And it, even in chapter one, we talk about the fact that we, we have quarrels among ourselves. So the essence of sin we found out last week was what was selfishness. And selfishness comes back to a sense of often a sense of pride. Uh, we, we have... Um, uh, selfish desires, we found out they're dangerous things, and uh, we find that we sometimes have a tendency to use our prayers to, to hide our true intentions and our true desires. We'll say, well, I prayed about it. I asked that God would give me something, 
and uh, and he, he chose not to. We're going to be dealing with that some today. So um, remember, we said also that um, at at the end of the hour, we talked about the fact that human anger can never accomplish the righteousness of God. It's one of the tough things is that we tend to get excited. I might, might, I was had to check my watch because I'm, I'm getting dinged over and over again. My daughter is apparently putting up something on uh, sending me messages, but we'll do, I'll do that later. All right. So, um, the source of our conflicts tend to be our cravings. And we talked a little bit about that last week. And the struggle that we have is just because we win today or just because we win this time does not mean that we win the next time. And the issue that we have to do is we constantly have to go back to the Lord constantly pray, ask forgiveness, seek to have the strength that the Holy Spirit provides, not ourselves. Because I've already, I've personally experienced the fact that I can't do it in my own strength. Every time I've tried, I've failed. Oh, I might last for a minute, maybe a couple of hours, maybe even a day, maybe even a week. But eventually I fall because I'm relying on my own strength. All right. So we're in, in verse two, where it says, you want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet you cannot have what you want and you quarrel and fight and you do not have it because you don't ask of God. So he's talking about two things here in this particular verse. He talks about what we do not have and then coveting what we have not obtained and what we can't obtain. These desires can be very dangerous and can actually cause us, as you, as you hopefully know, will cause us to sin if we allow them to fester and grow in us. I'm reminded, if you will, of the passage in Matthew chapter 18, where Jesus says that there's this, this servant who owes the master a huge debt. I mean, it, he probably could not pay this debt in a couple of lifetimes if all he did was constantly work and paid it off. They gave all the money to the master. And the, and the master decides to, to forgive this massive debt. And then... After that, the servant's really pleased because obviously, you know, we all like that. Uh, I had one time where I, I had a loan that was forgiven and it was it really helped. Well, I think every other loan I've ever had, I've always paid off. But I had one specifically that that I, there was just no way I was going to pay it off in the time frame that I planned it. And uh, for, fortunately, the person that lent me the money graciously uh, forgave the whole amount which was an amazing uh, opportunity. But the, the point of that is, then what do you do afterwards? Because this servant in this story goes out and does what? He finds somebody that owes him like, you know, 50 bucks. And he wants to throw him in debtor's prison because he hasn't paid it up. And the master hears about it. And what's he respond? Oh, dude, you are so in trouble. I'm going to recall uh, that forgiveness I gave you. And I'm going to throw you in prison until you've paid off the entire amount. Well, that's never going to happen. So I'm, the, the, the point of that passage is the fact we need to be merciful. And God wants us to be merciful. So uh, in the parable, Jesus, uh, you know, he says, one servant receives mercy, but he shows no mercy to a lesser servant who owes him. Uh, and so the unmerciful servant, it, you know, uh, is, is uh, thrown into debtor's prison. It's an interesting thing that, that what happens is that we tend to be, we tend to want something and we, and it becomes a, a evil, an evil desire. He does not show mercy when he's been shown incredible mercy. 
And and so the result of that is that it's almost like a, a uh, if you will, a, a, a vicious logical link that the frustration of evil desire and evil acts finally comes out with an act to kill is what God says here in, in this passage. He says, you have, you kill. Now, is it true that he's talking about killing? Is it the physical act here of killing that he's talking about? That you kill and covet? Probably not. But what does Jesus tell us about killing? Does he say that we're guilty of killing if we've done anything else? We're guilty of murder? Remember in Jesus teaching in the, in the Sermon on the Mount? He says, if you think about it, it's as good as doing it. Talks about, you know, if, if you've committed, well, you might not have committed adultery in your in your, your physical act, but you if you looked at a woman in, inappropriately, had inappropriate thoughts about her, it's as, it's as though you've done it. And if you look at somebody thinking, I wish I could kill that person, it's as though you have. I think that in this particular instance, this kill here is used in that perspective. That it's a desire to, to do something uh, that we are uh, committing at least uh, in our mind, mentally murdering someone for, some, for something we want. We also have a tendency to, to talk about coveting. Um, talks about two passages, two, two verses, uh, two ways here, uh, two words. In a couple of translations, it talks about envy and coveting. Envy is the idea of willingness to destroy in order to gain what belongs to another. That's envy. The, the willingness to destroy in order to gain what belongs to another. And coveting is willing to steal what's not yours, but someone else's. Coveting is willing is a willingness to turn an earthly object of, of human desire into something that ultimately... Um, becomes idolatry. And idolatry is something that God is not real happy with. In fact, we're going to find out when we get to verse four that he talks about adulterous people. What do you think he means by that? And silence. Okay. So what, is, what does God mean when he says that we are uh, uh, adulterous? Is he talking about the fact that we have gone out and committed adultery uh, physically with somebody? No, what he's saying is that we're in our minds. We are adulterous because of what we want or what we, you know, what's really in our good, hearts. Good. Yeah, um, yeah. My, my facade on the outside may look holy and righteous and oh, Dan's a swell guy. But inside, I'm, I've got all these evil thoughts. And, you know, James 4, 17, at the end of the chapter, no to do good, yet to do evil. That is sin. Yeah. So I have an adulterous heart. Think about this. What, remember, we, remember we studied Hosea? Anybody remember that far back? Anybody still with me that was here when we did the book of Hosea? What happens is that Hosea's wife, uh, goes off, runs off with another man, commits adultery with some, with a whole host of people, probably, and even has a child out of wedlock that that she uh, that Hosea actually ends up taking it as one of his sons. And God equates the the issue that Hosea has with this adulterous wife as being the same as what Israel is doing to God. 
when Israel goes off and worships other gods, he equates idolatry and adultery as being co-equal in God's eyes. So in this idea of being adulterous people, he's talking about the fact you're being idolatry. You're, you're worshiping idols. You're worshiping stuff that takes place precedence over God. So that's the issue we're talking about here. And, you know, and this is one of the problems we have is that, um, that today we have uh, advertising. And advertising is designed to do what? To get us to want something because it's something we don't have. And it's so much better if we had it. Look at what would happen if, you know, why if you just had this new car, you have that wonderful smell. You know, and you'd feel really good about yourself and you'd be able to drive and you feel pretty good going down the road until a couple of months and that car is no longer new and suddenly it's not good enough anymore. And we find that when we, when we idolize something, often that we find out that that idol doesn't give us what we think we, we're going to have. I have a neighbor in my, in my uh my neighborhood here who's has one of the smaller houses in our neighborhood and he's bought one of the he's in the process of buying one of the largest houses in our neighborhood now and he told his wife he says i want to get rid of all our stuff and get everything new and she's going i don't want to do that and he goes oh yeah yeah we're going to do that so in the meantime they've bought a he's bought a brand new f-150 and a brand new uh uh, uh cadillac uh sedan uh because he wants to have everything new and i'm thinking how long <laughs> who died so that's not that, you know, until you don't want it anymore, it's not going to be good enough anymore. <laughs> yeah. But, but he's, he's concerned. He wants to be, you know, I'm going to have a new house. Like it's going to be bigger. It's got an in-ground pool. It's got this, it's got that. And, I, I, I don't, I, and I'm thinking, you know, boy, you're going to be disappointed in a, in a couple of years. You're going to find out that it doesn't, it doesn't satisfy. All right. So uh, we talk about prayer. We talk about the fact that we're, we're told to, to when we in verse three, we ask and we don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives. Now, wait a second. I thought Jesus said that if you ask anything in my name, you get it. Isn't that what he says? Yeah. Doesn't that mean that that, you know, I can say, God, I want a, I want a new Audi. I want a new Cadillac. I, I, I want a new Lincoln. My God's going to give it to me. I need a house. I need a. I need a bigger house. Doesn't he say, "If you're obedient"? Oh, really? I mean, I just. I, I, it isn't like you know a, a magic credit card that I get what I want. That's why some ask him. Go ahead, Dan. Go for it. I said that's why some people ask a miss of the, <laughs> yeah. what they're praying for. <laughs> yeah. You, because you want to spend it on your own pleasures. That's what we're saying here. Isn't it interesting that, that Jesus says, ask, but you ask in my name. It's the idea that you're asking. We tend to think that when we say in Jesus' name, that it's like it's like hocus pocus or abracadabra, you know, and, and mm -hmm. it happens. That's not what that means when you say that in Jesus' name. We're saying that we're speaking with what we hope is the authority of Jesus and saying this is what Jesus would want. How would that change the way I pray mm. if I start saying, because I think this is what Jesus would prefer. This is, this would, this would honor Jesus. 
This would honor my Savior if you granted this request, Lord, Father. How would that, how would that change the way we pray? Would it suddenly all those things that I want? You know, I'm I'm going to show my age here, but there's a, a song from long, long ago that Amy Grant sang. Talks about my grown-up Christmas wish list. You know, my grown-up Christmas list. It's all these things that I want as an adult. And you remember, as a kid, you'd you'd go through the Sears, you know, catalog. You know, you go through and you looked at all the toys, and you list all the things you want for Christmas as a kid. A couple of you are nodding your head. The rest of you are just lying. You're not nodding your head. You don't understand. You know you did it. You know you did it. And and then you then you were you just couldn't wait for Christmas because you knew you were gonna get all that stuff. I have a I have a confession to make. One year I was uh, I don't know why I did this, but I did it. I went through the entire house and I found all the places where my my mother had. Um, hid all of what I thought were my birthday presents. And I was all excited because I knew everything I was going to get for my birthday. And it was, I was, I was going to have the best birthday ever. And apparently somehow along the line, she figured out that I had been in there and had figured out what I got. I got nothing that she had purchased. <laughs> nothing. I got something totally different. Now at Christmas time, I got all the stuff that I had seen, but it, you know, I was you're I was so smart. disappointed for my birthday that year. I was like, I couldn't believe it. I didn't get all the stuff I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> so here, here's something that might be a bit confusing. And that is, so when we're talking about praying for stuff and praying in Jesus' name. Mm -hmm. So just for a second, let's take stuff out of the mix and just think about our, our prayers for you know, everyone that we prayed for on our prayer list before we started today, right? So we're not we're not even asking God in Jesus' name for anything for us. We're asking for healing and blessings and for other people that in the same way that Jesus and the disciples did when they walked on earth. You know, they healed people and 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 helped people and so that get that takes us down a, a confusing world a road because you know it's like well lord i'm not asking this for me you know yeah I mean, so why why don't we get what we guy. ask for in that way is that what is that where we're headed what's that what why don't we get what we ask for if we're asking for for good stuff i mean we're asking for stuff that's not for us we're asking for blessings for others we're asking for healing why is it that god chooses not to get not to grant that yeah, I mean, I think we, yeah. we question, right? We question, well, you know, Lord, I'm not asking for anything for me. I'm asking that you heal. You know, yeah, you bring right. these people are suffering. Yeah. And we yeah, know well, that that's, you don't want that. God doesn't, he's not a God of suffering. He doesn't want people to, to struggle and, and suffer with disease and pain. Um, that's not his way, but yet, um, yeah, I understand the whole suffering thing, but yeah. Um, yeah. So, but it's I'm, my point is is that it's confusing. It can be confusing. So, how what's the answer to that? Why is it that sometimes we come to God with with a legitimate uh, a legitimate prayer request, and God says seems to say no, doesn't give us what we want. What does that mean? What does that say? Does that mean that God plays favorites? 
that we don't know the the secret handshake that we need to have with God or this this the secret words we need to have. I think I, for me, I just think that it just for me it just more so opens my eyes to the lack of understanding of who God is in His way and what He sees important compared to how I see the world and what I think is important. Boy, that was, well, you really hit it. What God sees is important. God has a plan, right? Yeah. God has an overarching plan that for this world, God's going to accomplish that plan. And the the point that the problem we have to, that we deal with is this. Do we trust God that he has our best interests at heart? That what he's doing is being done to bring us into into conformity to his son, the image of his son. Do we trust in that? Or do we think that God is, you know, the picture we talk about God with a lightning bolt, you know, and he's going to strike us down. Or, you know, we, we, we have this picture of, of God being, uh, uh, you, you know, mad at us. And so he's going to withhold things from us. Is that what God is? Is God, do we trust that God really has our best interests at heart? That he wants us to become more like him? According to Matthew 6, yes. Oh, well, but why is it that we don't trust him? Maybe we don't seek after him. We seek after yeah, probably that's about, that part of it. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think maybe the other thing is that maybe his ways are higher than our ways. His, his purpose is different than we understand. I'm constantly says, telling God if he'd just do it my way once in a while, he'd find out just how smart I really am. So far, he's, he's never been able to. I've never been able to convince him of that for some strange reason. Oh, I think the way we pray, it seems like we're trying to put God on a guilt trip. Yeah, that's good. I like that, James. Yeah, yeah. We, we, isn't it great? We can if we can if we can manip- We think that praying allows us to manipulate God. Yeah, you know, we're we're gonna put him on a guilt trip. My, my mom was great at guilt trips. I swear, I, I you know, she was Polish. And I don't know if it was, I don't know if there was a, a hint of Jewish bloodness or something. Because, you know, we, we talk about sometimes people that, that have guilt. It's like, man, she just knew how to guilt me. Into, you know, I had to, to kind of turn off my mind sometimes to start down this path. Because if I didn't, I'd just feel guilty about stuff. I, I wasn't doing it the way she wanted. Well, it wasn't what I thought was the right thing to do, especially as I became an adult. You know. Isn't that gaslighting? <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah, she was really good at that. So Val, this uh, the, James four one and two, where it says uh, wars and fightings, and then it says uh, you kill, and then again it says you fight in war. Is there any chance that that could be like a was a response to persecution? Well, it could be. It, it certainly has a possibility, although I think it still comes back to this. It comes back to this, the whole idea of leadership in the church, and we're fighting among ourselves. Now, it could be, and again, James is one of the first, I believe, is one of the first books written in the New Testament. And so you've got the early believers who are primarily Jewish, who are scattered abroad from the persecution earlier in the church. And James continues to care for them uh, as a a pastor who's, you know, these people have gone out from our congregation, but we're still going to try to oversee and make sure that they're 
encouraged and helped. And so I think that's what he's trying to do, but he's trying to point out. So it's possible you could look at that from that perspective. Sure. I think that it's probably a secondary consideration personally, but maybe. Um, I think the big thing is that we tend to fight among ourselves. And think about the, the think about it as an example, Paul, which obviously this is long before probably Paul is a, is a believer and writes his books. But what what is Paul dealing with? Most of the fights are having to do with not only the Jews outside of the church, but the the, the Jews who are uh, ultra conservative within the church, and saying, "Well, you've got to if you're going to be a Gentile, you have to become a Jew in order to to be a, a fully committed Christian." And he's at war with that. Today we talk about, you know, if you if God doesn't take care of you, there must be something wrong with your faith. You know, if you if you pray for something and don't get it, there must be something wrong with your faith. Remember how Jesus uses that example with the disciples that come walking into town and they go, Hey Jesus, you see that blind man over there? Why who sinned? Did he sin or did his parents sin? Now he was born blind from birth. So it's kind of hard. What'd you do? He sinned in, in utero. So they're going, well, you know, is it sin of his parents? And, and Jesus says, no, no, it's none of those things. What is it? He's blind because it's going to bring God glory. Oh, by the way, blind man, you, you can now see. You're healed. So I think that sometimes we get confused and, and we think that we need to name it and claim it and we get it. And God goes, yeah, not, no, not, that's not necessarily the case. Sometimes it has to be done in a way that brings me glory, which comes back to Dave when you talked about the fact that you, we pray for things that seem like they're really good things. And we come down to this, maybe God's glory is shown through our weakness, through not answering the prayers the way we wanted to. You know, there have been people that have been in the hospital that have had amazing witness uh, to the hospital workers as they continued to trust God, even when he chose to end their life. And they, and people have come to know God because of that. Maybe God's plan involves things that we don't want to have happen in our lives, but God's looked at all of the possible outcomes and decides this is the best that can happen. Do you think, uh, so we should have like patience of a tortoise with God and every decision we make is for God's glory, whether it's right or wrong. Well, <laughs> I think we make a wrong decision. That's not necessarily, I think God can use it well, to bring glory to him. Thank you. But I'm yeah, not sure. That's where I'm going. Yeah. He's always going to. Yeah. And when yeah. we don't get something we want, we just have to be a little more patient about it or understand that maybe it is for God's glory in some way, maybe not yeah. the way you thought. Yeah, because why? Because we don't understand God. It's, you know, can a, can a you know, I have a, a, a one-year-old granddaughter, and I've, I find a lot of the things she does very amusing. Even when she does things wrong, I find it amusing, but I also find it wrong, right? It needs to be corrected. Um, she doesn't understand that. And she doesn't understand why, you know, she can't have certain things or can't do certain things that would be a, a danger to her. 
And for her, she, you know, I, I think that sometimes our problem is that we just don't understand. It's like God is, God is over, overseeing us and God enjoys us and God wants us to have the best. But the best sometimes is don't touch the stove. It's hot. Hmm. You know, well, you know, in I, th I think it's in uh, John 16, it talks in, in the same chapter. It says, asking you will receive. Mm -hmm. But then it goes on and it says, you will have trouble. Yeah. So it's like, you know, it's not a, it's not a free pass. Well, that, yeah, that's the whole thing that cracks me up is like, you know, okay. If you think life is a bed of ease, you come to Jesus, get saved. And man, it's easy chair living from there on, you know, someone used to call it hot tub Christianity, which I thought <laughs> was kind of great, you know. Uh, but look at the initial Christians. Jesus, does Jesus get uh, easy Christian? No, Jesus dies on the cross. Well, what about the rest of the disciples? Well, 11 of the 12 died horrible deaths. The last guy, you know, that we say that he was, he was put in prison. He was apparently boiled in oil. You know, he survives a whole host of things. And John writes, you know, the, he's the last of the, of, the, of the, he doesn't have a good life. None of them, none of them have a life of ease. And Jesus says, if they treated the master this way, why do you think you get a pass? Hmm. Why do you get a free pass? Boy, that's so enticing to be a Christian. Of course. <laughs> But but think about this. But what do we the plan? Do? The ultimate plan was to bring others and to spread the word, and that's yeah. no one could understand it at the time when they were going through it. Which which does what for us guys? What what does it point out to us? Trust when in God's talk, plan. Yeah, we 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 are here because God has a purpose. And he wants his plan carried out. And our his plan is going to be perhaps different than our plan. Okay. You know, I had a lot of plans in my life. I haven't gotten most of them. James, you're going to say it's, kind of like, it's kind of like doing physical workouts. I mean, you know, you, you, you start these things because ultimately you want to lose 20 pounds or you want to firm up some parts of your body. But to get there to do it, it, it takes a lot of work and there's a, a lot of nights, a lot of days that you wonder why the heck you do it because yeah. it hurts you. Yeah. But then one day you look in the mirror and it's your, your body looks different or whatever, you know? And so then you equate it to it's being okay. And, and even uh, when the, we come to Christianity, we see or we think we see other people doing so well and uh, they testify that uh, you know it's all God's doing and this and that and the other and it's just like anything else we want some of that but we don't understand that there's pain associated with that yeah 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 I, I, I it is amazing how often you know, we, we come to this passage as you uh, you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you don't ask God. And when you do ask, you don't receive because you want to spend it on the wrong things. You want it for your benefit. I'm. Uh, we talked about this last week. We talked about the prayer of Jabez. 
And uh, Tom, that was a that was a great uh, message you sent out to us, where you kind of showed us how you'd turn that into your your prayer. And, and I think that to me, the the thing about the prayer of Jabez is, it's not just that God we want to expand our our area of influence, but we want to do it for your benefit and for your glory. It's like asking for a raise, but do we get the raise for what reason? I think I told you this years ago when I was in business specifically before I was in the ministry, I'd get a raise or I'd get a bonus and specifically bonuses. I think that's my, that's play money. That's my money to do whatever I want with. Never gave it a thought that maybe God was giving me that money so that I could use it for his glory to help some ministry or to help someone in need. It never crossed my mind because I got a bonus. It's mine. I can do what I want. So I went out and played with it. And then when they had dawned on me, God gave me that as much as he gave me my salary or my commissions. Maybe maybe he has a plan with that too. Maybe I, maybe some of it's for me, but maybe some of it's to be used for other things. Really changed the way I started thinking about giving. Maybe God gave me something because he wanted me to help and bless other people and not for my own pleasure, not to spend it on myself. Think about this here where it says, um, let's see if we can get here talked about spiritual adultery which is the same as being idolatry verse four you adulterous people don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards god that's in our passage in i think king james says uh enmity and and by the way the the niv translators did a good job on this particular one enmity and 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 hatred is the same thing just if you will they're kind of like um, um synonymous so here's the question I have. What does it mean when he says the world? Are we supposed to hate everybody in the world? Are we supposed to hate the world itself? Anything that's physical? Is that what he's talking about? What's he talking about? It says love your enemies, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I got to go get a work call. See you guys. All right. Is it that time? Man, it's, oh, man. It's, we're getting close. Yeah, we got Take care, Larry. Be safe. What's it mean? Human society. Human society. Oops, go ahead. Go ahead, Edwin. I, I was saying, I'm supposed to suppose things that are not God. Yeah, know, I think in society, it, in our world, the things that we make. It's the world system. It's our society. And is our society, can we say, can, can, can we all agree that our society is becoming more and more anti-Christ and anti-God? It's pagan. Pagan. Oh, Okay. Yeah. Yep. I used to explain to my kids when things went wrong in the public school, it was easy to explain it away because they're pagans. A little harder when, when Christians disagreed on issues. It's hard to say that that a Christian was a pagan, but but yeah, they're, they're, this world is not interested in God in general. We struggle with that. And, and here's the, it, it, I'm going to close with this idea and we'll see how, I think there's a, 
like five points here, and I'll, I'll do it real quickly in the last couple of minutes. So I think as Christians, we get involved in the world gradually. And, and I want to use as my example lot. So, uh, you know, Lot is uh, told by his uh, uncle Abraham, choose wherever you want to go because we're, we're at odds. You know, your, your, your people and my people are fighting each other. Our herdsmen are, you know, we're, we're having issues with uh, grazing and so forth. So Lot looks to the well-watered plains of Sodom and Gomorrah and says, that's where I want to go. And I think that what we see here is that it, it, what happens, and he starts by looking that way, then he moves on to the plains, eventually moves into town. And then, you know, basically you have to almost drag him out of the town when they get, when God gets ready to destroy it. So think about this, that what happens with us when we come in contact with the world is we have to be so careful because we can get involved in the world gradually. It starts off by being, according to James 4, 4 here, friendship with the world. And, and, and then in James 1, 27, which we already talked about, it talks about being spotted by the world. So we get friendship and then we start getting a little dirty. You know, our garments get a little. <laughs> and, and then it leads to friendship. Friendship leads to loving the world. For According to 1 John chapter 2, we end up loving the world. And then it makes it easy for us, according to uh, Romans 12, uh, verse two, where it says, do not be conformed to this world. We start to becoming conformed to the things of this world. And finally, we end up being condemned with the world, according to First you know, Corinthians chapter 11, where it says, the stuff that you've built, it's going to be tried by fire. And you yes, you're going to be saved, but it's like by the skin of your teeth or by yet by fire, everything gets burned up and you make it, but there's nothing to show for it. So the issue we have is we struggle with the world is that it entices us and it entices us down a path that too often I'm guilty of going down that path. I'd like to say that I didn't, but it's easy. You know, oh, it looks good. I think I'll try that. And then we get hooked. And it gets harder and harder to get away from it. And we buy in totally. So here's my, here's my comment. Don't buy into the world. How do we do that? As we close, here's how we do it. Constantly praying that God will open our eyes to what he has for us. Asking God to give us the same lenses to see through things that he looks through. As we do, we'll become to realize that what God wants and what we want should be the same. And if we're asking for him for help, we need to rely on him and the Holy Spirit, which means that when the still small voice comes, you don't brush it aside. Well, Val, let me, you know, last sort of as a follow-up yeah. to the the prayer that I that I mentioned last week. You know, we talked about the Nigerian church needing some money. Yeah. And, you know, I felt that it was something that you know we should that we should support. And, you know, I said the prayer as I do every day. And then like two days later. I got money that I wasn't expecting to get. <laughs> so I Isn't made sure that, that I yeah. followed through. <laughs> and I've had it occasionally happen where you, I felt the lead of God to do something. I go, God, I don't really have the money to do that, but okay, I'll do it. And then God sends me money. And it's like, 
whoa, wait a second. Would, would I have gotten that if I hadn't done that? I don't know. But yeah, that's the whole issue. When, when God, when we lay a, pr a prayer out and ask God, what do you do? Do what he tells you to do. That's all. It's really simple. And sometimes he brings it before. And sometimes he brings it after. Sometimes he doesn't bring it at all. He just expects you to sacrifice. That's what the, 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 the Gentile church did. It, it, when, remember when Paul in, in Acts 24, 23, he comes back to Jerusalem and he brings the offering that the, the, the Gentile church has given to help the poor. There's a huge famine going on in the Middle East at that time. He comes back to help his people and give money not only to the believing Christians, but I also believe to the non-believing Jews. God expects us, you know, sometimes we just give and we do it sacrificially and, then, and we believe that God's going to take care of us. For some strange reason, God always does. Well, that's it. I mean, I didn't, you know, I decided I was going to give before I even knew that I was going to have this money. Yeah. <laughs> And then God gave him gave me the money. That's amazing. When I didn't I didn't give the money thinking that I was that I didn't give the money asking God to give me more money so I could give it. Sure. Yeah. God does some. God's amazing sometimes. Take care, James. Yeah. You guys got to take off. That's fine. We're gonna go to the end of our of our session. I will stop the recording.